Well, we're, we are marching forward again in the book of Acts. We have made it all the way to the end of chapter 7. Uh, we haven't preached every particular chapter of this, but we are trying to progress through the book of Acts to show you how the mission of God moves. And so far we have seen the mission of God experience a great amount of success, um, starting from Acts chapter 2, when um, we see the gospel first preached, we see 3,000 souls respond to that gospel. Uh, moving on into chapter 3 and 4, the gospel continues to be spread, but uh, at the same time, it's experiencing some difficulty. Uh, Peter and John are arrested. They're brought before um, some of the high priests and the, and the city elders, and they are tried for and told not to preach about Jesus and his resurrection anymore. And then we saw last week um, one of the great problems in the church was the disruption inside the church when um, Ananias and Sapphira were lying. Uh, they were selling a part of their land. They sold some land. And they brought the money to the apostles and they lied about how much they had received in hopes that they might receive greater attention for their service in the church. And so we saw the mission threatening, um, being disrupted because of people inside the church missing the point of the mission. And even in that, in chapter 5, when the church was, uh, when some of the members were missing the point of the mission, upon that uh, moment when that event took place, even great fear came upon the people and the word of God continued to spread. Well, today, we're going to see the mission of God experience some great suffering. Acts chapter 6 and 7 is the first recorded uh, story of any Christian martyr that we have um, in, in history. Stephen is his name. And hopefully today, as we think through the idea of suffering, uh, we're going to talk about suffering and mission. As we think about suffering, I hope that we'll make some sense of it in, in light of what we're supposed to see and how suffering really works in our life. So today will be pretty simple. We're going to look at the kind of person that suffers in mission. Number two, we're going to look at why that person suffers. And number three, we'll see the result of that suffering, what really suffering brings about. I know suffering doesn't get a lot of airtime on our uh, frequency very much, but it's good for us to think about because uh, we see so much in Scripture talked about suffering, um, and we should be ready for that. So let's start with the idea of who really suffers, who suffers. If you go back to chapter 6, you're going to notice some things about the man Stephen. Stephen is the one that suffers. He suffers at the cost of his life in this story. Um, and in chapter 6, we see some things about Stephen that are really important. In verse 3, it says, uh, when they were appointing some men to serve in the church, they were told to find men who were of good reputation, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom. Stephen was one of those men chosen, so we can safely assume that Stephen was a man that was full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, and had a great reputation. So in service... Stephen had good reputation. He was full of wisdom. He was full of the Spirit. And Stephen was full of faith. Look down in verse 5, it says, What they said pleased the whole, and they gathered, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Stephen was a man who was full of great reputation and wisdom and spirit and faith in his service. But that's not all that we see of Stephen in chapter 6, just in his service. We actually see Stephen participating and witnessing about the resurrection of Jesus, about who Jesus was. If you go down and look in verse 8, it says that Stephen was full of grace and full of power. 
He was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So as Stephen was there teaching the people about who Jesus was, uh, the importance of Jesus, why he matters, he was a man that was full of power. But he was full of grace. He was full of wisdom. And he had great spirit about him. And when he was talking about who Jesus was, it says that he was displaying wonders and signs. And this is a way for the Bible to teach us that this person was not just a man of words, but he was a man of action. He was verifying his words about Jesus with the way that he was living and his actions in some ways, some special. So in his witness, he was full of power, full of grace, and full of wisdom. But lastly, if you look down in chapter 7, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 15, Stephen is now arrested for preaching about Jesus. And he, like Peter, is brought before the council of the elders. He's brought before many of the uh, important people of the city. And when he's being accused of doing things that are wrong, look what it says about uh, Stephen. And gazing at him, at Stephen, all who sat in the council saw his face. It was like a face of an angel. Almost sounds like Stephen's mom was writing this, right? He's got the face of an angel. Not quite. But look at Stephen's face, even in the midst of being accused. Look at his attitude. So when he's serving people, he's a man of wisdom, a man of good reputation, a man of spirit and of faith. When he's witnessing about Jesus, he's full of power and full of grace. And even when he's being accused of doing something that he is not doing, when he's accused of doing something wrong, when people look at him, they see him still with a face like an angel, not gritting his teeth in vengeance. Here's the key. Stephen did not invite suffering because he acted like a fool. That's important for us to realize when it comes to suffering. There is a lot of suffering that takes place in our world because people act foolish. People do things they shouldn't do. They say things they shouldn't say. And in that, they experience suffering because of that. That kind of suffering is not the kind of suffering that I'm going to talk about this morning. The kind of suffering we're going to talk about this morning is the suffering you experience when you're on the mission that God has given us through Jesus Christ. To be a witness to the resurrection of Christ. To tell of the great work that Christ has done. To live a life for Jesus. There's a couple places in Scripture where Jesus would even tell us this. In Matthew chapter 5, when he's talking about the Beatitudes, at the end of those, when he talked about being blessed for being meek and being poor in spirit, being hungering and thirsting for righteousness, he says at the end in verse 10, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted. But why? Do you remember? Persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are the people who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And then later in verse 12, he would say, when they speak things about you, they should be speaking things that are not actually true. So when you're being accused, uh, when you're being attacked for being a Christian, what the attacker and the accuser should be saying are things that are not actually true about you. So if they're saying, he's a vile, horrible person, man, he's treating me so awful, those things should actually be untrue, not true. Or later, as Paul would say in 2 Timothy chapter 3, if anyone desires to live a godly life, that person will suffer persecution. See, what I'm trying to get at is that if we act arrogant in our faith, if we act foolish in our behavior, if we're unsympathetic as Christians, 
and we suffer because of that, that's deserved suffering if we act like fools, that we deserve that. The kind of suffering that Stephen experienced was because Stephen was faithfully engaged in telling people that Jesus Christ was the answer for their life. When he was engaged in doing that, people didn't like that, and he suffered for that. Now let's look in chapter 6 at the kind of suffering he experienced. So that's who suffers, the person that's on mission. But why did he suffer? Go to verse 9 of chapter 6. You see it says in verse 9 that there were some of those who belonged to the particular synagogue of the freedmen. Now, um, you had the main temple in Jerusalem where Jews would come and they would worship, um, but dispersed out through all the region of the area of the Roman Empire were things called synagogues, and this is where Jewish people could, could worship and serve remotely from the temple. Now, these freedmen are kind of an interesting group. This is the only time we really see them mentioned in the Bible, so you've got to dig in to figure out who they are. But they are either Roman sl Jewish people who are Roman slaves or descendants of Roman slaves who are Jewish people who have now been set free, and they have sort of gathered together. They're most likely Greek-speaking Jewish people who are probably living in the, in the area of Jerusalem who have probably just kind of formed a synagogue because they wanted to kind of join together. And so these people who believe in Moses, who believe in the law, who even love the temple where God dwells, they love all these things, are beginning to argue with Stephen. They begin to engage with him. And what they find out with Stephen is that he's not actually a dummy. In verse 10 it says, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking so Stephen was talking about Jesus telling people that Jesus that he raised from the dead and his resurrection changes all the realities of the world and now because he's raised you can be right with God and be one with God and now God can dwell with you and he's telling people this and the freedmen who belong to the synagogue don't like it and so because they weren't sharp enough smart enough in fact they were missing the point on who Jesus was they got frustrated with Stephen and they started to stir up the crowd and the people around. And here's what they said about Stephen. They said that he was saying things, if you look down in verse 11, they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Now look down in verse 13. This man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. You see what's happening? Here's why Stephen was suffering. The hearers of Stephen were listening to him, and they weren't listening to him um, speak about Jesus and clearly what he was trying to say about Jesus. You see, these were people who placed a high value on their religion, their Jewish religion. Jewish religion had taught them what being free meant. It had told them who Moses was, and Moses was a man who emancipated people, who freed people out of Egypt. They loved Moses. They had the temple, which was where God dwelt, and they believed that that's where they were now free people from Roman slavery, so they could have the temple, and they were free to do that. They were also having purpose in the law, so they loved the law. What they heard from Stephen was this. Jesus is against everything you value everything you love, everything you cherish. For Jewish people, when they heard Jesus preached, they immediately heard Jesus is against the temple. He's against Moses. He's against the law. 
And see, that's what suffering happens when people hear that Jesus is against what you value, what you love, what you cherish, and what you believe in. And that's so true today. When people hear about Jesus and they aren't connected to him, most often they hear Jesus is against what I love. He's against what I value. He's against what I believe in. He's against what I cherish. But that's not what Stephen said. In fact, in chapter 7, Stephen is given the floor to speak. And he has probably one of the longest dialogues we see, or monologues we see in the New Testament. Um, in fact, if you ever want to just shortcut most of Genesis all the way to like the prophets, just read Acts chapter 7 and you'll get a summary of the whole Old Testament. What Stephen does is he goes back to the very beginning from chapter 7 verse 1 forward to verse 50. And he gives them 50 verses of their history saying, Jesus isn't actually against Moses. He's not against the temple. He's not against the law. Jesus is not against what you love. He's the very fulfillment of everything your heart's desired. You see, that's what we have to be preaching. That's what we have to be teaching. When we see today people that would be opposed to Christianity, there's a lot of groups right now that are opposed to Christianity, that when they think about Christianity, just you can picture the ones in your mind right now, I'm sure. And when they think about Christianity, what they hear is Jesus is against my life. Jesus is against what I love. Jesus is against what I believe in. Jesus is against what I cherish. And what we have to be able to do is in such a beautiful way like Stephen did is articulate this truth. Jesus isn't against what you actually really love. He's not against what you deeply believe in. He's not against even what you stand for. You see, he's actually the real fulfillment of everything you believe, love, and stand for. He is. Every movement that we see happening in America today has deep-seated values within it. Now, they have surface behaviors that people are promoting that we don't agree with. But they have deep-seated values and beliefs, things like we should be free to choose, or we should be allowed to love, or we should be able to determine where we go and what we do. That's what these groups are most often saying. And what we have to be able to show is that Jesus Christ is not just against particular behaviors. He's really the thing your heart's always wanted. That's what Stephen is showing them. Jesus is not against Moses. He's the greater Moses. Jesus is not against the temple. He's where God now dwells. Jesus is not against the law. He's the fulfillment of the law. So the things that the Jewish person in that day loved, they could find in Jesus. And I'm saying to you today, the people that look at Christianity and say it's against me, what I would like to argue to them is this. Jesus is the very thing your heart really wants and will really find its answer in. So how do we become people that articulate the gospel this way? The same way Stephen did. We've got to do it like Stephen. You see, Stephen was like his accusers in many ways. Was Stephen a Jew? He was Jewish, right? Did Stephen go to the temple? He went to the temple. Did he value the law? He valued the law. He knew who Moses was. He cherished Moses. All of those things. But Stephen went through the process of realizing the things that he loved were fulfilled in Jesus. And you and I must do the very same thing. We must see our similarities and like passions. Maybe we don't practice particular behaviors, but we share same passions, same desires. 
things we long for, and we have to show how Jesus Christ is the very fulfillment of those. So here's how we have to ask these questions to ourselves, to become good people to articulate the gospel. What wound has Jesus healed us of? What worry in your life has Jesus settled recently? Have you had a worry in your life over the last week or month or year that has really troubled you and you found that Jesus can settle you in that worry? What desire have you found yourself so longing for that really wasn't something you should have longed for that you actually found the fulfillment in Jesus that he satisfied? What fear has Jesus calmed in your life? And when Jesus becomes the answer to our deepest needs, you and I will become practitioners of the gospel. We'll know how to teach the gospel in a way that answers and satisfies people's deepest longings. And when you do this, you'll want to share it. So when we share, when we find that Jesus actually is the answer to our deepest longings, our deepest desires, when we find that Jesus is the answer, and we begin to share that, we will suffer like, maybe like Stephen did. We might not have our life taken from us like Stephen. Uh, some people do. But we may not. But we will experience suffering. You see, uh, if you look down in chapter 7, look at the obvious result of suffering. The obvious result of suffering is that Stephen was dragged out and he was stoned to death. And as I was saying before, you might not experience death, but you and I, when we promote that Jesus is the actual answer for the longings of the human heart, we will experience at times being cut off from the larger community. A larger community that might not think that Jesus is the answer might in fact cut you off from that community. You might like Stephen, maybe not die, but have your life altered because of that belief. If you have conviction about Jesus Christ and you confess that conviction to other people you will experience impact on your life that's what Paul meant with those who desire to live godly will suffer persecution so if you have conviction about who Jesus is and what he's done for you and you share that conviction with people you will experience some way in which your life will be altered but I don't want to focus on that um, seem to be, seeming to be blatant result of Stephen's suffering because there was a greater result that Stephen experienced, a better result, a deeper result. Look down in verse 55. Here is the real result that Stephen experienced in his suffering in chapter 7. In verse 55 it says this, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, this is after they drug him out and they were enraged at him, they were gnashing their teeth at Stephen, ready to kill him. And in that moment when Stephen is about to die, it says in verse 55, he was full of the Holy Spirit. He gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. The first result that Stephen had because of his suffering was that he saw God and Christ clearer than he had ever seen them before. Do you see that? His suffering, this experience of suffering brought a clarity of how he saw God in his glory and Jesus in his position. He understood Jesus more. He saw God in his glory. That means he began to see God in greater fullness. It reminds me of Matthew 25 when Jesus was telling um, those, he was telling a parable with those on the right and those on the left of the day of judgment. When he said in, verse, uh, in chapter 25 that those on the right when they were serving people who were hungry and naked and without shelter, he said, you were doing it to me. And they said, well, when do we see you? And he said, 
if you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. In the service, in the care, in this giving of ourselves, we begin to see more and more of who God is. And so Stephen saw the glory of God. He saw the greater image of who God was in his suffering. But he also saw Christ's position. When you were hearing me read that, did you notice something different about Jesus' position when Stephen saw him? He says that he saw the glory of God and he saw Jesus Christ doing what? Standing. Is that different? It's very different, right? When he ascended to the right hand of the Father, what does the Bible say he was doing? He was sitting. And that's symbolic. That's important. Because in the temple, in the presence of God, priests never sat down in the Old Testament. You know why? Because their work was never done. Worshippers were never made perfect. Worshippers were never fully absolved of their sin. And so priests always having to do work, never could sit down. There was never a chair in the temple. Priests never sat down. So when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, he symbolically sat down saying, listen, the work of the temple, the sacrificial system, you trying to save yourself is done. It's over. But here's Stephen witnessing and testifying about the greatness of Jesus. And he looks into heaven and he sees Jesus doing what? Standing. Why is he standing? For the very same reason that if some elected official that we respected, maybe the President of the United States walked in and we would do what? And, and during the State of the Union, what do people do when the President walks in? Whether you like them or not, they stand up, right? Why do they stand up? Maybe not because they honor the man, but they honor the what? The position. Why is Jesus standing? He's standing because he's honoring Stephen. He's standing because he's saying, if he'll stand for me, I'll stand for him. When Jesus said, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess him before the Father. You're getting a picture of what that looks like. This is real. That when you confess the glory of God and the greatness of Jesus to people who might not believe it, even if they reject you, Jesus Christ stands out of honor for that. You see, Stephen knew that. And suffering uses you to Jesus Christ in a way that you haven't because you get to see the glory of God in Jesus clearer than you've ever seen him. The second thing, look down in verse 59, the result of suffering. In verse 59 it says this, as they were stoning Stephen in the midst of his suffering, he called out and he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So the second thing he did was he gave all of himself to all of Jesus like he had never done before. Suffering has a way of doing this to us. Suffering has a way of finding out where our allegiances really are. When we suffer for Jesus, we really find out, are we in or are we out? When you uh, witness to Jesus and somebody's witness about Jesus and somebody says, yeah, okay, you might, you know, hold back a little bit. But if you begin to suffer for it, if you begin to experience relationship strain, or you begin to experience being looked over for a position at work because of your suffering, you're going to find out really quickly if you believe that Jesus is real or not. And in this moment, in this moment, Stephen was giving more of himself to Jesus than he had ever given when he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I want you to have all of me. This suffering drove him to give more of himself to Christ in a way that suffering might not have ever brought about in him. You see, our comfort-laden Christianity sometimes doesn't really demand that we give all of ourselves to Jesus. 
Because in this comfort society, sometimes I can give a part to Jesus, and I can give a part to this and a part to that, but I'm not really driven to decide, am I in or am I out? Suffering has a winnowing effect on the church. It blows away the chaff, and we find out what the wheat is. And in suffering, we're going to see who is in and who is out. And so Stephen, in his suffering, gave all of himself to Jesus. And lastly, in verse 60, And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having received, having seen the fullness of Christ, and giving all of himself to Christ, this suffering transformed Stephen so that now he could give his life for the good of others. You see, suffering actually gave him a heart of mercy and not vengeance. When you focus on Jesus and you begin to see the glory of who he is, and you give more of yourself to him, when you suffer, your heart won't harden into vengeance. It will transform into mercy. You see, he was dying a prisoner, but he was the freest man on earth. He was experiencing the worst of human behavior, being judged for something he didn't do, and in that condemnation, being killed for it. He was experiencing the worst of circumstances. His life was being taken from him. So he was experiencing the worst of human behavior, the worst of human circumstances, things he had no control over, and yet he had transcendent peace. Why? Because he was the freest human on earth. No circumstance, no person could take that from him. Where would Stephen get such an idea like this? That personal suffering for the good of others would be a reasonable way to live. That it it would even make sense to suffer for the good of other people. Where would he learn that? Well, I I believe he learned it with what he did in verse 55 when he looked to Jesus. Because he had been looking to Jesus all of his life. And as we do, like the Hebrew writer says, look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It says this, who for the joy set before him, Jesus, endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now sat down at the right hand of God. You see, Jesus, for Jesus, the cross was both his greatest amount of suffering and his greatest source of joy. If you friends, suffering will not make you love Jesus. Suffering alone will not make you love Jesus. So if you are here today and you're not sure what you think about Jesus, maybe you're not all in with him, maybe you don't really know him that well, Just suffering, so going out and stirring up some problems over Jesus and suffering will not make you love Jesus. But receiving the love of Jesus will make you love Jesus. And then it will lead you to share what an incredible gift he is. So you've got to receive the love of Jesus, and that's what makes you love him. And then you'll want to share what an incredible gift he is to other people. And when you share that incredible gift, it will lead you to some version of suffering. And it's in that suffering that you'll begin to see him more clearly. Cry out for more of him to receive more of you. And ultimately be transformed into his image. Which is everything we really want as a Christian, right? So suffering, while it sounds to be something kind of counterintuitive to want, what we should want is Jesus and get more of him and let him transform more of our life. And when he does that, you will naturally, consequentially, share who he is with other people. And when you do that, when you share Jesus the real way, it makes people decide, am I in or am I out? Those that are in will follow, those that are out might make you suffer. And when you suffer, you'll see him clearer, 
you'll want him to have more of you and you'll be transformed into his image and that's everything we've always wanted so while we're on mission we may suffer and if you're suffering today maybe outside of the mission maybe you're suffering because of sin or suffering because of waffling faith or suffering because of doubt we're always available to help you with those problems and challenges because we want you to see more of Jesus to know more of him and realize that he's really the answer you've been looking for let's stand and sing